welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 95. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week, I've been checking out Pokemon Legends Arceus. I've also been training for the upcoming Elden Ring by playing through Dark Souls Remastered. Well, also this week, we had another huge acquisition with Sony buying Bungie. I'm going to go through all that this week, plus look ahead to Kirby and the Forgotten Land, and that one is coming soon, so it's a really busy show. So let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Well, we've had another blockbuster week in terms of acquisitions in the games industry this week. So last time I was on the podcast, we were talking about Microsoft acquiring Activision. And this past week, Sony announced they were buying Bungie. So I'm going to be running through what that means for Bungie and Sony later on in the show. And it does seem a little bit different to the recent Activision deal where Microsoft are bolstering their Game Pass service with loads more value. Now it looks like Sony here wants to supercharge their live service capabilities. Well, also this week, it's a bit of a Nintendo special. I've been playing Pokemon Legends Arceus. And I'm going to review that first up in the show. And I also want to look ahead to Kirby and the Forgotten Land. And this one was a massive surprise announcement last year. And the game's release is coming up really, really soon, so I've gathered all the information that we know so far. And then later on in the show, I want to round up 10 of the biggest games for Nintendo Switch right now. And this is something I'd like to revisit every now and again when new releases come out. Well, before we get into what I've been playing this week, it'd be great if you could leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the discovery of this week in video games. So I'd love to get your thoughts and the feedback on the show. So an honest review would be really, really good. And also, I'll read out reviews on a future episode of the podcast. Also, if you enjoy This Week in Video Games and want to support the show further, then you can check out This Week in Video Games on Patreon. So that's patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. And you can sign up for benefits like early access exclusive content, content voting, and a whole load more. All right, that is all my shameless plugs out of the way, but let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week has been a week of contrasts. I've been playing Pokemon Legends Arceus, and also Dark Souls Remastered. And first up today, you know, the new Pokemon game from Game Freak and Nintendo. That takes the Pokemon franchise in a slightly new direction, with the team experimenting with some new and some very welcome features. I've also been starting my Elden Ring training with Dark Souls Remastered. So I've played Sekiro and Demon's Souls, but this is my first foray into the world of Dark Souls. So it's really, really exciting and also punishing at the same time. We get Elden Ring coming out in February 2022, on the February 25th actually, so only about three weeks away now, so I want to get into the groove and into the mindset of From Software Games. But without further delay, let's dive into my review of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Well, Pokemon Legends Arceus has arrived as the first big first-party potential blockbuster of 2022, and Game Freak and the Pokemon franchise have been in a rut, and fans have been calling for a shake-up in terms of mechanics. And Pokemon Legends Arceus is a step in the right direction. And when it was first announced, we wanted to hail it as Pokemon Breath of the Wild. However, it turned out much more like Pokemon Monster Hunter. However, there are some real improvements here, and they do have me really optimistic for the future of the Pokemon franchise once again. Well, Pokemon is one of the most successful entertainment franchises out there in the world right now. You know, the Pokemon company literally prints money off the back of the Pokemon games, such as Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. We've had Sword and Shield recently, and also 
the ever-present Pokemon Go. Now, these recent entries haven't quite been able to live up to the success of the early games, and that's led to plenty of remakes including Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, and also, as I mentioned before, the very recent Diamond and Pearl remakes. Well, Game Freak finally announced that they were deviating from the familiar formula with Pokemon Legends Arceus, and this one was going to iterate on the wild areas seen in Sword and Shield, and finally, we'd see Pokemon out there in the wild as we've wanted for years. Well, Pokemon Legends Arceus sits in a strange place. It's not a mainline Pokemon entry. This is its own side quest of a game, much like the Let's Go series, so it does feel like an experiment that, if successful, features of the game could be worked into the main series. And having spent tens of hours with the game, you know, I really hope they bring a lot of elements from Arceus, because this is the most fun I've had with Pokemon for years and years. Well, Pokemon Legends Arceus is set in the Hisui region, which is supposed to be a long, long time ago, and it's similar to a feudal Japan version of the Sinnoh region that we visit in Diamond and Pearl. So there's definitely some familiarity with the landscape. This is a time before humans and Pokemon live side by side, and they still live out there in the wild regions, and you've got wooden Pokemon balls. They've only just been invented. The structure of the game is quite interesting. So we've got the main hub town called Jubilife Village, this is where we start out having dropped through seemingly a time portal in the sky to arrive in the Hisui region. Now, Jubilife Village is where the Monster Hunter comparison comes from as we use this as our base and go out each day to scout out, hunt and study Pokemon. So it's not like Breath of the Wild where we can simply walk into something that we see in the distance from Jubilife Village. It's much more contained into zones where we have to load in between each one. There's a sense of Breath of the Wild freedom once we get to one of our open destinations but it's not quite the open-world Pokemon adventure that we may have wanted after seeing the first trailer. Well, in terms of the story, you sign up to be part of the Galaxy team, and these are recent arrivals in this land where existing Diamond and Pearl clans argue over differing versions of their gods. And Strange Lightning has come out of the sky and shocked their noble Pokemon, causing untold damage. And it's up to us to find out what happened to the noble Pokemon all the while studying and recording details of all the Pokemon in the region in the Hisui's first Pokedex. Well, our Pokedex here is a book, and we have to study, catch, and carry out multiple tasks per Pokemon to learn all about them. And there's plenty of inspirations from Pokemon Go here in the observation techniques, which is a nice touch and a decent departure from the long-standing mechanics that we've been playing over and over for 20 years. And each Pokemon has a long list of research tasks, for example, you have to catch them a certain amount of times, battle them to observe moves, and also defeat them in battle. There's a variety of ways to catch the Pokemon, by sneaking up on them without them seeing you, and hitting them on the back with a Pokeball, and that caused them to be confused. And there's a decent variety to the quest, which offers up some good variation in the gameplay. So this is where the gameplay loop starts to form. So rather than starting out in a town, heading up the road and battling Pokemon along the way through random battles, and working your way through a list of gym leaders, you know, here there's no gym leaders or random encounters. It's all very refreshing. So in Pokemon Legends Arceus, we see Pokemon out there in the wild. And it's great to see their relative size compared to you and also your Pokemon. So a Slowpoke, for example, is huge, whereas Pikachu is really, really small. So as you make your way through the Hisui region, you're going to collect research points by filling out your task list in the Pokedex. And research points, they're like XP they lead to levelling up and gaining star ranks in the Survey Corps. So rank up your stars and complete the main story quests and areas are going to open up with newer, higher level Pokemon. 
and the gameplay loop doesn't sound very enticing on paper, but once you get stuck into it, it's definitely the most satisfying and addicting Pokemon experience that I've had for many years. You know, I found Sword and Shield plus Diamond and Pearl a little bit of a slog at times, but here I'm quite happy to spend hours and hours researching and definitely catching those Pokemon. Arceus has plenty of personality, so the idle animations of the Pokemon, they're fantastic. It definitely breathes life into them. You've got the audio cues and the little sounds that you hear when you're out there in the wild. You know, the patter of rain, the little burst of fireworks when you successfully catch a Pokemon. It feels like Game Freak has injected new life into the franchise with all of these little touches. You know, I can't really point to a single thing, but it's loads of little things which all add up to a better gameplay experience. So Pokemon has always been about catching, but Pokemon Legends Arceus adds a little something extra here too. For example, you can walk or sneak up on your Pokemon and throw rudimentary wooden Pokeballs at them to catch them. So then there's a little wait and then they either burst out of the trap or get caught. And often you have to sneak around because some Pokemon have the need to run away. So I've spent hours trying to catch an Eevee, which is a rare spawn early on in the game, only for her to run away a few times, which is very, very frustrating. Although saying that, it did motivate me to come back and I did eventually catch my Eevee. Well, catching the Pokemon has definitely been reinvigorated. And to accompany this, there's a decent crafting set of mechanics too. So crafting has had its place in the previous Pokemon entries, although here it's much more front and centre. So for example, you've got a crafting bench in the main town, plus you've got a little mobile crafting unit that you can take out on your excursions. The landscape is full of crafting materials such as berries in the tree, healing plants on the ground, and you can combine these together to make potions and revives for your Pokemon that help them out in the battle. And one neat feature here is you can throw Pokemon against a tree, and it's going to remove all the berries in one go. Well, the battle system has been given an overhaul too, so it is still turn-based, but there are loads of quality of life improvements here. For example, you can move around when you're battling, that shouldn't be underestimated how much this improves battles. So effects from fire, ice and paralysis tend to be shorter and easier to recover from, plus you've got the new agile and strong style moves. So for example, the strong style will increase the attack damage, but you're going to be slower, and the agile moves may be faster, but you're going to inflict less damage. So the battle system is probably the area of the game most similar to other Pokemon games, and unfortunately not in a good way. So the turn-based nature of battle can sometimes feel a little bit random. For example, the Pokemon you're fighting might have two turns in a row, and there's little to explain why. You could argue that Game Freak wants to not veer too far away from the main Pokemon formula, but when you've experimented in so many other areas, why not try it here too in the battle system? We've got Alpha Pokemon and the mini-boss encounters which switch things up in the battles and offer plenty of challenge. You're going to be out there roaming out there in the wild, and you'll come across a very large Pokemon with glowing red eyes, indicating it's an Alpha. So quite often these are multiple levels above you, and could quite literally hand you a beatdown. Then you've got the noble Pokemon boss battles too. They're really, really fun. And they're huge, godlike Pokemon. So revered by the people of the island and they're enraged. Now we have to throw their food at them in the form of calming bombs. Well, the name sounds a bit silly and the concept is pretty weird. Plus the controls aren't great either. So you have to throw food at the noble Pokemon until you can throw out a Pokemon to whittle down their health to zero without losing your Pokemon or blacking out from the fight. Now it's kind of mechanic soup and doesn't really manage to pull itself together in a coherent way at all. But saying that, there is plenty to like here in Pokemon Legends Arceus. I love the exploration, 
the crafting and collecting Pokemon, you know, all that feels great. The performance does let the game down, so if you've been following the conversation, then you're going to recognise the discontent from the graphics, and I heard the game described as a GameCube port to the Nintendo Switch, and it does beg the question why Game Freak, who owns the largest entertainment franchise in the world, you know, why they can't manage to have up-to-date graphics in their games. So The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, a five-year-old game at this point, looks much, much better. You know, the characters and the Pokemon don't look too bad at all. It's the environments that really let the game down. Textures and scenery pop in all too often, and the grass, for example, looks absolutely terrible. It does make you wonder why Legends Arceus is in the state that it's in. You know, it may be down to the fact that Game Freak sells hundreds of millions of copies of the game, and they don't really need to polish it. They just know they're going to get sales. However, you know, if they did, it would take the game from being an average game to being a really, really great game. You know, with the right graphics and performance, which could easily be attained on Nintendo Switch, this could have been one of the best games of the year for sure. So there's enough innovation here, it could have been a great Pokemon entry. Unfortunately, it's totally let down by the performance. You know, I do understand it was developed in only a few years, but if that's the case, you know, slow down a bit and take your time. We literally just got some remakes late last year in November or December, and it always seemed that the release of Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl was going to be too close to this release. You know, with that said, I've enjoyed my time with Pokemon Legends Arceus and I will be going back to it again. The story is a little weak and the sheer amount of dialogue at the start of the game is funny. There's just way too much and no voicing acting in the game and it does feel like you're just waiting and waiting and reading and reading. But it's the gameplay, the exploration, catching Pokemon, actually seeing your Pokemon out there in the wild for the first time, relatively sized against one another, it is really, really good. So if you're a fan of the franchise, I definitely recommend picking this one up. And it really does give me hope for the future of the franchise. And it's going to be really interesting to see where we go from here and which elements from Pokemon Legends Arceus Game Freak decides to keep in future releases. Well, the game was developed by Game Freak. It was published by Nintendo and the Pokemon Company. It's released for Nintendo Switch. And it originally came out on the 28th of January, 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Definitely a little bit of a mixed bag. But as I said, it's the most fun I've had with a Pokemon game in years recently played through the Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl remakes, and to be honest, about halfway through I did get really, really bored, and I'm really looking forward to going back to Pokemon Legends Arceus and joining in with the endgame. Well, that is it for Pokemon for now, but next up, we're going to check out the big acquisition this week, with Sony buying Bungie. And this one was a big surprise, completely out of the blue, I'm pretty close to Bungie when it comes to all the Destiny 2 content and the future games they make, but Sony came out on Monday and announced this big acquisition, and it was really, really surprising. So I'm going to tackle this in two parts. First of all, we got a message from Pete Parsons, and this was the announcement from Bungie themselves. And then I've got an interview with Jim Ryan over at GameInformer.biz. So there's a couple of different perspectives here from Bungie and from Sony, although this acquisition doesn't feel like the Activision acquisition that we got from Microsoft a couple of weeks ago. So that is all about adding value to Game Pass. They've got Call of Duty and all the other games under Activision Blizzard. You know, they're all going to be added to Game Pass and there's going to be loads of value. Sony, on the other hand, looks like they're evolving their business. So Sony are known for their massive single-player games. Though they don't really have many live service games or multiplayer games. And also they got their Project Spartacus rumoured to be coming out in April, which is their Game Pass competitor. And if they're going to have a Game Pass competitor... 
Well, they're going to need a little bit more than their single-player games and also their back catalogue of games on the PS1, PS2, PS3, PS4, and also PSVR. To have a complete catalogue, they're going to want to get into live service games, and I think Sony are buying Bungie to bolster their live service capabilities. Well, first of all, let's go over to that announcement by Pete Parsons, and this was over on the Bungie website on Monday. So Bungie say, Bungie joins Sony Interactive Entertainment, and we believe that games have limitless potential, and that to do anything worthwhile in entertainment, we must bet big on our vision, on our studio, and on our incredible team of trusted creators who build unforgettable worlds that truly matter to people. In Sony Interactive Entertainment, we found a partner who unconditionally supports us in all we are, and who wants to accelerate our vision to create generation-spanning entertainment, all while preserving the creative independence that beats in Bungie's heart. Like us, Sony believes that the game worlds are the only the beginning of what our IPs can become, and together we share a dream of creating and fostering iconic franchises that unite friends around the world, families across generations, and fans across multiple platforms and entertainment mediums. Well, today, Bungie begins our journey to become a multimedia entertainment company. Well, Pete Parsons has gone on to talk about creative freedom, so since taking flight in 1991, Bungie has always charted the future with our own star map, a path that is driven by our people and for our community. So we're continuing that journey with new worlds in development, and we can't wait to share them with you. With Sony Interactive Entertainment, the potential for our universes is unlimited. In our future games, we'll take bold steps in unexplored spaces for Bungie, continue to push the boundaries of what is possible, and we'll always be built on the foundation of creating meaningful, lifelong friendships and also memories too. So we remain in charge of our destiny, no pun intended, and we'll continue to independently publish and creatively develop our games, and we'll continue to drive one unified Bungie community, and our games will continue to be where the community is, wherever they choose to play. With Sony Interactive Entertainment support, the most immediate change you will see is an acceleration in hiring talent across the entire studio to support our ambitious vision. So if this speaks to you and you want to help us put a dent in the universe, we're hiring across all disciplines for Destiny 2 and for our new world beyond. Well, next up, we've got three decades and counting. So what makes our world come to life is our community and our people in the studio. So our people are the soul of Bungie, empowered by our people, we pushed the boundaries of what we thought was possible and transformed who we are as a company. Now, over the past 30 years, the inviting worlds we've built have turned into thriving communities, and that community is the true magic. Now, these communities have taken Bungie beyond games. They forged lifelong bonds and humbled us with the real, meaningful good they drive within us and the world. You know, more than anything, Sony Interactive Entertainment understands that our people and our community are both the priority and the heart of our success, and are willing to stand alongside us as we continue to use our platform to drive action towards a more welcoming and equitable world. So our goal is to build a place where the world's most creative and talented people can come and do their best work, no matter who they are, where they're from, or how they identify. So that is the real dent in the universe we want to make, and the one that we want to last beyond us. You know, be part of this future with us, and I'll see you starside. So really, really interesting stuff there. It looks like Bungie want to take their IP beyond the video game space. And we've talked a long time about Destiny moving into movies or a TV show, like a Netflix kind of thing, or maybe some big blockbuster movies. Well, Sony, of course, published these Spider-Man movies and they've got movie studios, so they have all the right connections to turn Bungie IP 
into something more than video games. So it's really, really exciting. Well, next up, I want to take you over to an interview with Jim Ryan from Sony over at gamesindustry.biz. Really, really interesting stuff, so let's dive into that interview now. So PlayStation's acquisition of Bungie may not result in exclusive PS5 games, but it's going to allow the platform holder to significantly accelerate its ability to make online live service games across different platforms. So in an interview with gamesindustry.biz, Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan says that Destiny 2 and future Bungie games will continue to be published on other platforms, including rival consoles. So the advantage that Bungie offers Sony is in its ability to make huge multi-platform live service online games, which is something the wider organization is eager to learn from. Well, the first thing to say is unequivocally that Bungie will stay independent, a multi-platform studio and publisher. So Pete Parsons and I have spoken about many things over recent months, and this was one of the first and actually the easiest and most straightforward conclusions that we reached together. You know, everybody wants the extremely large Destiny 2 community, you know, whatever platform they're on, to be able to continue to enjoy their Destiny 2 experiences, and that approach will apply to future Bungie releases. That is unequivocal. Bungie will operate autonomously within the Sony Interactive Entertainment organization, and they will continue to publish on other platforms. So we definitely get the importance of this, and we've grown studios organically, but we've also made a number of acquisitions over the years. So whether it's Naughty Dog, Guerrilla Games, Sucker Punch Productions, and most recently Insomniac, we understand how important it is to give these great organizations the space and the independence whilst bolstering that with great support when and where that's needed. So he continues, Pete and I have spent a long time talking and we're struck by how similarly that we see the world and just how complementary our two organizations are. We're like two pieces of a jigsaw that can slot together. They make massive immersive games that have no end, whereas PlayStation strength, as you know, lie in single-player, narrative-rich stories. So our studios make those games, and they are some of the best games you can find anywhere. So I've been on record talking about the increasing size of the PlayStation community and expanding beyond our historic console heartland, and this can take many forms. So definitely one of the main ones is the ability for wonderful games that we've been making over the past 25 years to be enjoyed in different places and played in different ways. Now, we're starting to go multi-platform. You've seen that. We've got an aggressive roadmap with live services, and the opportunity to work with and particularly learn from the brilliant and the talented people at Bungie, that is going to considerably accelerate the journey that we find ourselves on. Philosophically, this isn't about pulling things into the PlayStation world. This is about building huge and wonderful new worlds together. So meanwhile, on the Bungie side, Pete Parsons tells GamesIndustry.biz that Sony offers the ability to accelerate its own plans, which includes the prospect of taking its IP to new entertainment mediums such as TV and film. So Pete says, back in 2016, we set out our vision for ourselves to create the worlds and inspire friendships, and we wanted to become one of the world's great entertainment companies, and more than that, become a centre of creative and technical excellence, so that no matter who you are, where you're from, how you identify, you can feel like you can come to Bungie and do your best work. Now, even though we've been working together since 2013 with Destiny 1, it was remarkable how close Sony and our visions were. You can't help but look at Sony's accomplishments, not just as a great platform, and having easily some of the best development teams in the entire world, but as one of the greatest entertainment companies in the world, you know, we saw this as a great opportunity to build, not just Destiny, you know, we're working on more than Destiny, you know, these great interactive experience which we think we're good at, but also being able to explore these worlds and even more. We're continuing to learn and build and grow, and I'm extremely proud of the work that we're doing to create a thriving, inclusive environment for people. 
Well, Sony have been so gracious over the last decade to give us early insight into the platforms and technologies and games. The ability to work with thought leaders within the Sony network is incredible. You know, we're already friends with a lot of them. If you think of the list of giants who live within the Sony Interactive Company, it's incredible. And I think we've got something to offer too. So Jim Ryan adds, The way people play games has changed a lot over the last few years. We created some wonderful properties over the course of the last 25 years with characters that people love and resonate all over the world. You know, offering the opportunity to enjoy those experiences a completely different way is something that we're really, really excited about. You know, I can't go into details today, but we've got a really amazing roadmap on how to do that. You know, I would back us to do some live service games ourselves, but when you've got the potential to have a partner like Bungie, who's been there, done it all before and learned the lessons, and have got this wonderful, brilliant team who's there and have the potential to help us, we think that we can take something that would have taken a certain number of years and significantly decrease the time it would take to get it right. Well, loads of really, really interesting details there, and thank you to gamesindustry.biz for that interview. Really, really interesting stuff, and great to hear from the insiders, especially Jim Ryan and also Pete Parsons there at the top of those respective companies. But another massive acquisition late last week, and it does beg the question, who is going to be next? You know, Ubisoft, EA, maybe even Nintendo, they're all going to have a mark on their back now, especially with Microsoft sloshing around $70 billion for their Activision Blizzard acquisition only a couple of weeks ago. So, so it's a really, really exciting time to be reporting on all this news. I'd love to hear what you think about all these acquisitions and the direction of the video game industry. So I'd love to hear about that down in the comments or over at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. Well, that is it for the news for Sony buying Bungie. Next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week, down three places from last week, number seven, is Just Dance 2022. And number nine this week, down one place from last week's number eight, is Grand Theft Auto V. And number eight this week, down three places from last week's number five, is Call of Duty Vanguard. And then at number seven this week, down one place from last week's number six, is Minecraft. And number six this week, up three places from last week's number nine, is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And at number 5 this week it's a new entry, it's the Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection. And then at number 4, down one place from last week's number 3, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. At 3 this week it's FIFA 22, and that is down one place from last week's number 2. At number 2 this week it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe still going strong, and that was last week's number 1. And then at number 1 we've got the new entry, it's Pokemon Legends Arceus. And it looks like this one's done really really well, and it's straight in there at number 1. So congratulations to Nintendo. Game Freak and the Pokemon Company for that number one entry this week. Well, Nintendo again, I've got loads of entries in the charts there. So we've got Minecraft, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, Mario Kart 8, Pokemon Legends, Arceus. Really, really strong showing for the Nintendo Switch. And next up, I want to look ahead a little bit to another release. This one is coming out on the 25th of March, and this one is Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Well, there's plenty to look forward to with Kirby's first 3D adventure on Nintendo Switch, and we first saw this back in September 2021 with a relatively short introduction trailer, but now we know much more about Kirby's post-apocalyptic adventure, and today I'm going to dive into everything we know about Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Well, Kirby is coming back on March the 25th, so it's much earlier than many of us expected. So when we first saw the trailer, it was announced as Spring 2022, 
and that is coming around much faster than I can imagine, but it's great that it's early spring rather than late spring. So the setting for Kirby is off the beaten path for a normal adventure with our little pink round friend. You might expect something along the lines of Kirby's Dreamland. We're talking trees and cute animals, including birds with hats and clouds with eyes. But Kirby's Forgotten Land throws a normal Kirby conventions upside down with a post-apocalyptic adventure. Nintendo has gone on to describe the Forgotten Land as a mysterious world with an abandoned structure from past civilization. You can see from the trailers, abandoned buildings, broken down old structures, so it's got more in common with something like The Last of Us and not a stereotypical Kirby outing. You know, Waddle Dees are being kidnapped by the new enemy type known as the Beast Pack. Then it's up to Kirby to save the Waddle Dees from this tough new group of enemies and then also save the day. So in terms of structure of the game, it looks like we're going to be setting off and saving the Waddle Dees in different zones, similar to Super Mario Odyssey. You know, way back in the first teaser of this new game, we see Kirby being washed up on the beach in a strange new land. There aren't many clues as to why Kirby is there, what happened to him, or how it's connected to where Kirby came from. So those are just some of the threads they are happy to leave us to discover when the game comes out in March. Personally, I think it's a new and interesting twist for Kirby. Normally, the games are pretty simple, there isn't really much of a story, so it's going to be good to see what happens. We see Kirby running through abandoned shopping malls and crossing deserted streets, for some unknown reason, all the people who built these buildings and streets appear to have gone, as we can see the plants growing over the glossy buildings that once stood. Now, we do know a little bit about some of the destinations in the game, including a fairground, a desert, and also a snowy area too. Nintendo has given us some details about the game. There's a hub zone called the Waddle Dee Town, and this is full of minigames and other characters to interact with. So the minigames include fishing, serving up dinners at the local cafe, and trying to collect toys from a hook machine. There's an NPC called the Wise Waddle Dee living in the town too, and he likes to dish out hints and tips if you get stuck. And as well as hanging out in the town and passing the time, you can also develop and improve the town, so shops open up with more Waddle Dees that you can save, meaning the more you can progress in the game, the better your town gets. So Kirby in the Forgotten Land is Kirby's first full 3D outing, and I understand the team who worked on this also worked on Super Mario Odyssey, and they've been working hard on this as well. So if they can get close to the feel of Mario Odyssey, then we're going to have a great game on our hands. You know, for the first time, we're going to be able to freely run around the levels in front of us in full 3D Kirby style, and that means sucking up enemies, copying them, and having a few of our own abilities too. So Kirby games of the past have been mainly 2D side-scrollers on handheld systems, so it's really, really exciting to get Kirby on a full Nintendo mainline console adventure. So we can also play in local co-op with another player. So one player controls Kirby, and the other player controls Bandana, Waddle Dee. Well, Kirby's going to have a full set of copy abilities. So if you're new to Kirby, then he basically sucks up the enemies and takes on some of their abilities. For example, if the enemy in front of you has a hat and a hammer, then you consume them, and Kirby will end up with a little hat and a hammer too. Kirby normally retains these abilities until he has to spit them out. So this set of moves has been made famous in the Super Smash Bros. series across a number of consoles and iterations, but it's going to be great to see what Kirby could do here in the Forgotten Land. He's got some new abilities too, including the Drill ability, which allows Kirby to burrow under enemies and take them out from down below. Then you've got the Ranger ability, which equips Kirby with a red gun that fires stars, and I didn't think we'd see Kirby with a gun, but here you go, it's 2022, and here we are. Well, Kirby's got new abilities, and to go with these, there's also new enemies. So the Beast Pack are a new group of enemies, plus we've got foxes and hedgehogs and snakes, 
and the game is set in this post-apocalyptic world. However, we haven't lost some of the traditional cute Kirby enemies, so big boss battles have been part of the 2D games in the series, and that is definitely going to continue here. So in the most recent trailer, we see a huge gorilla with a mohawk who's trapped some Waddle Dees in a cage, and Kirby's battling them to set him free. So Kirby and the Forgotten Land looks like it's going to be a whole load of fun and what was somewhat of a surprise announcement by Nintendo in 2021. Now, given the talent working on the game, plus what we've seen so far in a couple of teaser trailers, I'm really, really excited about Kirby's next adventure and getting him out there in the world in full 3D. It's going to be a great experience. So Kirby and the Forgotten Land is due on Nintendo Switch on the 25th of March 2022. Well, that is it for my look ahead at Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Really, really excited for that one, especially given the team working on it. Really, really excited for that game. Well, that is looking ahead a little bit, but next up, I've been training for Elden Ring. So that one is coming out on the 25th of February 2022, and this one looks like it's going to be one of the best games coming out this year. So Dan Tack over at Game Inform is absolutely gushing about this game, and he doesn't get overexcited about games too often. So I'm really, really excited about this one. You should go over to Game Informer and check out their cover story this month. It is featured on Elden Ring, and it is really, really good stuff. They've got hours and hours of video game footage, and I really, really can't wait for Elden Ring to jump into that one. going to be really, really, really exciting. So as part of my training for Elden Ring coming out on the 25th of February 2022, I'm going to try and play as many Souls games as I possibly can before now and then. So I've played Demon Souls before. I've also played Sekiro, but this is my first foray into the Dark Souls series. So in the next couple of weeks, I really want to play Bloodborne 2, and I really, really think that's going to help in my Elden Ring training. But next up, let's go over to my review of Dark Souls Remastered. Dark Souls originally came out in 2011, and since then it's helped to redefine the action RPG. I unfortunately missed it the first time round, with Elden Ring coming out soon, now seemed like the perfect time to revisit Miyazaki's first masterpiece. We start out much like any other Souls game, pick your class, pick your optional power-ups and off you go. More often than not, I select the warrior in situations like this, so even though I understand magic is pretty useful in this game, and pretty OP, however, I just can't get away from wielding that sword. In the world of Dark Souls, this land has fallen into disrepair, years after a bunch of gods teamed up to take on a gang of ancient and deadly dragons. The world is slowly decaying over time, leaving behind it wicked beasts and zombie-like corpses. And the player somehow manages to stay alive through this, and it's our job to battle through a series of punishing bosses to the end. And normally, it's our end, but rinse and repeat the process and you'll learn enough along the way and slowly chip away and make progress in the game. Ultimately, this is what Dark Souls is all about. You're seriously ill-equipped at the start of a journey, and you'll venture out, learn attack patterns, level up various skills and take down the seemingly impossible in front of you. At first, it's going to be tough, and it may seem unlikely, but be persistent and the rewards will come. So Dark Souls Remastered manages to clean up much of the PlayStation 3 features, including textures, online play, and performance. The core gameplay of Dark Souls has been preserved, whilst improving many other things along the way. So the core game may be over 10 years old now, and the remaster roughly 4 years old, however, this is a game that stands the test of time, and this remaster is one of the best ways to experience this, and perhaps the only other major competition is Demon's Souls on the PS5. Well, the core gameplay to Dark Souls is fighting and combat, 
although there's a certain amount of puzzle solving and exploration too. Well, the game is going to throw challenge after challenge at you at a relentless pace, and at first you're going to feel ill-equipped, but learn the patterns of the bosses and execute your tactics to perfection to progress. So sometimes you're going to have a good run where everything will flow and it's going to work, and sometimes you're going to die to a poison rat after only 30 seconds. You know, Dark Souls is all about making little steps forward and remembering your path, learning how to parry your opponent's attacks and taking down that boss after four or five tries. So it's a game about persistence and reveling in your victories. The world around you does a lot of work, so we've got huge castles, dragons, dark knights, swamps and crypts, all interconnected and at first seemingly impenetrable and all very, very difficult. This eases over time and areas that were once impossible to get through now become a breeze. You know, Dark Souls always feels dangerous. This is obvious in combat, but also when you're not in combat too. You know, weapons that you're trying to collect, they're out of reach. Quest lines end abruptly in death, and Dark Souls is also a mystery to new players. It's secrets and lore, they're tucked away in item descriptions, and the game is almost trying to be really difficult in terms of explaining itself. You know, it doesn't, but in a way, having to seek out the deeper meaning and explanation of Dark Souls is very, very impressive. You know, one of the major drawbacks of Dark Souls is the structure. So the first half of the game is all about exploration and discovery. And once you get to the second half of the game, that's flipped on its head and you've got four distinct locations with enemies now leveled up to an infuriating level. So levels are filled with lava bottomless pits and it's full of dirty tricks that are going to drain you of your energy and motivation pretty quickly. Well, Dark Souls Remastered keeps much of the original, you know, both the highs and the lows, They've managed to remove some of the original glitches that allow for infinite souls, but otherwise it's very true to its original form. So if you've got the original Dark Souls, then this may be a little bit disappointing, with the game feeling much more like it's suited for new players to the franchise, rather than veterans. You know, the visuals have been given a much-needed overhaul, with the textures and fidelity much improved, and some argue that the original graphics and frame rate are part of the Dark Souls experience, but I for one welcome these upgrades. However, I didn't experience the game in its vanilla form. Well, Dark Souls Remastered has been a pleasure to play, albeit sometimes leading me to bash my head against a wall on some occasions. Now, this is a close replica of the original and allows us new players to understand what the hype was all about. If you're a fan of the most recent Souls games, I'd recommend going back and checking it out. You know, the Dark Souls Remaster arrived in 2018 when the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One were in full swing. You know, this is the best way to experience Dark Souls, and if you haven't, I thoroughly recommend it. Well, that is it for my review of Dark Souls Remastered, and my training for Elden Ring is in full swing. And next time on the podcast, I'm going to be playing my way through Bloodborne, so I really, really look forward to that. Well, that is it from From Software Games for now. But next up, I'm going to be looking at the top 10 games for Nintendo Switch as of February 2022. Nintendo Switch is about to celebrate its fifth birthday, coming up on the 3rd of March, so I thought it would be a good time to run through a list of 10 of the best games for the Nintendo Switch. So this is going to be a living list, so expect updates in the future. However, as of February 2022, this is 10 of the best games on Nintendo Switch, in my opinion. Well, first of all, we've got Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. So this game was released as part of the Super Mario 35th anniversary celebration, and we've got Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. So Super Mario 3D World is the latest game to be ported to Nintendo Switch from the Wii U, 
given its original release all the way back in 2013. And Bowser's Fury is a brand new short title to accompany Super Mario 3D World, and these two games offer a different side to the Super Mario series. You know, Super Mario 3D World alone was enough to convince me to get this package, given I missed it first time around, and I highly recommend the game if you haven't played it, and also recommend playing it in co-op. For me, it was great to play through with my wife. You know, we tried other co-op games before, but they never really felt quite as good as this one. Then you got Bowser's Fury. This is a relatively short but sweet outing for Mario. It kind of feels like something that was created in a short space of time in lockdown by Nintendo to give the audience as an incentive to play to buy 3D World again. But it is a really, really good experiment and a successful experiment, I'd say, to what we could see as an open world Mario game in the future. Well, next up, we got Monster Hunter Rise. So there's a certain speed and fluidity to Monster Hunter Rise I hadn't encountered before in the series. You know, running into battle at full speed on the back of your Palamute, who's your canine buddy, jumping in at the right time and swinging your sword or your axe or your hammer right into a huge monster's face, you know, landing and then, and then pulling off a seamless combo to finish the hunt. So Monster Hunter Rise is the latest addition to the Monster Hunter family and that exploded in popularity since the release of Monster Hunter World back in 2018, although that one didn't come to Nintendo Switch. So Monster Hunter fans would probably protest, saying it was a hugely popular franchise long before World and Iceborne were ever thought of, but Monster Hunter World took it to new levels in the West. Monster Hunter Rise does a great job as a follow-up, and now has the added bonus of being a player on the go, on the sofa, or in bed, on Nintendo Switch. So I really enjoyed my time with Monster Hunter Rise. I definitely recommend it to anyone who has a Nintendo Switch. It's got the potential to be one of the best and the biggest games on the Switch. You know, the learning curve may be steep, but the rewards are huge if you can push through those roadblocks. The game itself is charming, you know, it's going to make you laugh at times, and then there's the pain of defeat and the triumph of a successful hunt. You can get by by scratching the surface of Monster Hunter games, but it's only going to get you so far. These games are designed with hundreds of hours of play in mind, and I'm finally starting to understand why there's such a fervorous fan base of the series. I only wish I'd discovered these series earlier. Well, next up, we've got Hades. So Hades is tons of fun, right from the start. You know, maybe because the game is from the developer Supergiant Games, and it's been in early access for a while. Or perhaps the influence of Greek mythology and the slick and sexy feel to the game. So Hades Fast became a must-play game of 2020, and if you've been on the fence about it, I definitely recommend you get down there and immediately download it on the Nintendo Switch. So Hades is a roguelike brawler, pitting you literally against runs through hell. So as you make your way through the series of levels, you're going to earn power-ups that aid you in each run. So you've got ancient gods, they're going to pop up out of the blue. You know, they all seem to admire you and sympathise with you having to spend time down there in Hades while they're living it up above. The objective of the game is to get through a run in one piece, but you're going to have to have your wits and your skill all about you because this isn't easy. So one false move and you're going to be toast. So as well as the well-acted voice lines and the thousands of lines of dialogue, there's a sexiness to the game through the artwork, the interactions and also the feel of the game too. It's a polished package that drips and oozes quality and one that you simply have to give a go. Well, next up, we've got Animal Crossing New Horizons. So there's not many games as relaxing and as delightful as Animal Crossing New Horizons. You know, it definitely came at the perfect time too, as we could have all done with a little bit of relaxation in early 2020. So catch fish, bugs, plant flowers, speak to your neighbours. It all provides rewards and gets you into that Animal Crossing game loop. So it won't be too long before you're up past midnight saying to yourself, right, you know, I've only got to catch three more unique species, and then I can go to bed. But Tom Nook, he's got you in his pocket from day one. I've got no doubt about that. 
So Animal Crossing New Horizons, there's something for a variety of players. You can collect things for blathers, yourself of course, but you can also put loads of effort and time into designing your own home. There's furniture, there's wallpaper, plenty of other things you could do to customise your game. It feels almost limitless. Well next up we've got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So this one is an enhanced version of the game and was originally released in April 2017, so that was right after the Nintendo Switch came out. You know, it's a critical and commercial success, becoming the Switch's best-selling game. So even now, it's at number two in the charts. Absolutely amazing, given it's a five-year-old game. So both versions of the game, on the Wii U and also the Nintendo Switch, have sold a combined total of more than 51 million copies worldwide, making it the best-selling racing game and one of the best-selling video games of all time. You know, critics considered the expansion of Battle Mode containing specifically the designed battle stages and the three new variations of the mode, a significant improvement over its predecessor. Well, next up, we got Hollow Knight. So Hollow Knight is a challenging, beautiful action game set in the vast, interconnected underground kingdom of Hollow Nest. So a 2D action game with an emphasis on skill and exploration, Hollow Knight has you fighting a fearsome host of deadly creatures, avoiding intricate traps, and solving ancient mysteries as you make your way through fungal wastes Forest of Bones, and also a ruined underground city. You know, the atmosphere is eerie, sometimes unnerving. There's also a good-hearted core of humour and levity in there too, so especially when conversing with all the weird and wonderful NPCs that you find along the way. So Hollow Knight has beautiful traditional art, fluid and responsive action. It's challenging, but it's fair. And also there's a bizarre insect world begging to be explored and conquered. Well, next up we've got Celeste, and Celeste is a skillful platformer it combines a retro art style, great music, and a hard-hitting story in a winning combination. So Celeste, you know, it was a real surprise to me when I first played it, but it should take pride and place in any gamer's collection. So the story of Celeste is one of many of the assets that this game has to offer. It's a story of a girl who wants to climb a mountain, and the main protagonist, Madeline, clearly has a lot going on and confides in Theo, a fellow traveller she meets early in her journey. Madeline's going through some tough times with her mental health, and reveals in a phone call with her mum that she suffers panic attacks. However, she's determined to prove herself she can conquer her demons and overcome this huge obstacle that's in front of her. So Celeste is a great game, and I'd recommend it to anyone who enjoys platformers. The game feels great, rewards players, and combines great story beats with gorgeous art and excellent music. So if you haven't played this game, stop what you're doing right now and go and buy it. So I originally played the game on Nintendo Switch, and it offers up a perfect companion, on a plane, a train or bus, as well as a fine experience sitting in front of a TV with that Pro Controller. Well, next up we've got Metroid Dread, and this is Nintendo at their very, very best, adding a AAA gloss on a tried-and-tested Metroidvania formula, which all adds up to a very enjoyable game. Well, it's a 2D game, but there's 3D cutscenes and Samus looks and acts so damn cool in this game, it's hard not to be impressed at every turn. The detail, the environment, Samus's animations... The movement speed and variety of the weapons, abilities and enemies to battle, plus the hard-as-nail bosses, you know, sometimes that feels very un-Nintendo. Samus' movement speed here is something to behold in this game, perhaps takes inspiration from other games in the genre, like Ori and Hollow Knight, which are great examples of fast and fluid movement. So that's where legacy Metroid games fall down compared to the speed of today's games, but here, in Dread, Samus almost glides across the screen with pure speed. She's also got a very satisfying slide move, which you need to get the hang of to get away from the Emmys. Now, overall, Metroid Dread has delivered on the promise of what a 2D Metroid could be. 
This is by far the best outing for Samus in 20 years, and in my book comes close to what Nintendo has achieved with Super Metroid. So I thoroughly enjoyed my playthrough of Dread, but for it to be an all-time classic, it requires another couple of times through the game. But for now, this is a hugely satisfying gaming experience, with Nintendo taking inspiration from the Metroidvania market, and then going above and beyond. You know, my expectations were met, then exceeded, and if you've got a Nintendo Switch, you should be playing this game. Well, next up we've got Super Mario Odyssey. This one is a 2017 platforming game, and it follows Mario and Cappy, a sentient hat that allows Mario to control other characters and objects, and they journey across various kingdoms to save Princess Peach from Bowser and his plans for forced marriage. So in contrast to linear gameplay for the previous entries, the game returns to primarily open-ended 3D platforming gameplay features featured in Super Mario 64 and Super Mario Sunshine. So in Odyssey, Mario explores various kingdoms and collects the power moons hidden inside them, used as a fuel source to power an airship known as the Odyssey to travel to new locations. Well, Cappy's main function is the capture ability, letting Mario possess enemies and other objects, helping him to solve puzzles and progress in the game. And after completing the main story mode, other post-game kingdoms are unlocked, and additional mini-game Luigi's Balloon World is also playable too. And the game also supports multiplayer and virtual reality, with a Nintendo Labo virtual reality kit. Well, Super Mario Odyssey has been cited as one of the best games in the Mario series, with particular praise towards its inventiveness and its originality. The game won several awards and sold nearly 22 million copies by September 2021, making it one of the best-selling Switch games and one of the fastest-selling games in the series. Well, finally, we've got the number one game that you should be playing on Nintendo Switch, and yes, that's right, it's The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Well, this one came out of the launch of Nintendo Switch on the same day, and I still remember buying the Nintendo Switch from a shop back when you could actually go to shops, and I bought a Nintendo Switch and Breath of the Wild. So I remember I had to get the bus home. I was really worried because they were quite hard to get at launch. I had my Nintendo Switch with me, and I was looking at the back of the box for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and there's nothing like a new console and a new Zelda game. It really, really was one of the best days in 2017. But Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is actually out for the Nintendo Switch and also the Wii U. And Breath of the Wild is the 19th installment of the Legend of Zelda franchise. And it's set at the end of the Zelda timeline. So the player controls Link, you know, he awakens from a hundred years slumber to defeat the Calamity Ganon and restore the Kingdom of Hyrule. You know, similar to the original 1986 Legend of Zelda game, players are given little instruction and can explore the world very freely. Tasks include collecting various items and gear to aid in objectives such as puzzle solving or side quests, and the world is unconstructed and designed to encourage exploration and experimentation, and the main story quests can be completed in a non-linear fashion. Well, development of Breath of the Wild took place over five years, following the responses from some fans who wanted a larger game world to explore. You know, wanting to rethink the convention of the series, Nintendo introduced elements such as the open world and also a detailed physics engine, you know, Monolith Soft, known for their work on the open-world Xenoblade Chronicles series, assisted in designing the landscapes and topography. Well, the game was originally planned for release in 2015 as a Wii U exclusive, but was delayed twice. And then finally released on the 3rd of March 2017, Breath of the Wild was a launch game for the Nintendo Switch, and the final Nintendo-published game for the Wii U. Well, Breath of the Wild received critical acclaim for its open-ended gameplay and attention to detail. Critics called it a landmark in open-world game design, although it received minor criticism for its technical performance at launch. Yeah, it won several Game of the Year awards, 
and has since been cited as one of the greatest video games of all time. And by 2021, it sold over 27 million copies, making it one of the best-selling video games of all time. And a spin-off, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, was released in 2020. And then we got the sequel that is set for release on the Nintendo Switch in 2022. Well, that is it for this top 10 list of Nintendo Switch games that are out there at the moment. And I hope this list inspires you to go out there and find something new. Well, that is it for the best games on Nintendo Switch for now. But next up, let's have a look what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Well, we are one week into February now, and February is a really, really busy month of some blockbuster hits, and the next couple of weeks are no exception. Well, first up, we've got Oli Oli World, that is coming out on PlayStation 5, the Xbox consoles, PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC. So basically, the full pack, that is coming out on February the 8th. Also on February the 8th, we've got Sifu, that's coming out on PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 5, and PC. Then on the 9th of February, we've got the Action Arcade Wrestling, that's coming out on Nintendo Switch, and we've got Backbone, that one also coming to Nintendo Switch. Then on the 10th of February, we've got a few games. We've got Crossfire X, that's coming out on the Xbox consoles. We've got Edge of Eternity, coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox consoles, and also the PlayStation 4. Then we've got Cardboard Kings, that's coming out on PC. Then we've got Kingdom Hearts 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue, coming out on Nintendo Switch. Also on the 10th, we've got Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 and 2.5 Remix, that's coming out on Nintendo Switch. We've also got Kingdom Hearts 3 coming out on Nintendo Switch. And we've got No By Heart. That one is coming out on PC. Then we've got a big one on February the 11th. We've got Lost Ark. That's coming to PC. Then on the 15th of February, that's Dynasty Warriors 9 Empires. That's coming out on the PlayStation consoles, the Xbox consoles, Switch, Stadia, and PC. Then we've got Assassin's Creed, the Ezio Collection. That's coming to Switch, that's on the 17th. Also on the 17th, we've got the King of Fighters 15. That's coming on the PlayStation consoles, Xbox Series S and X. Also coming out on PC. Also on the 17th, we've got Total War Warhammer 3. And then finally, on February the 18th, we've got another big one. It's Horizon Forbidden West. So as I said, really, really busy couple of weeks coming out for game releases. So I think on the list, for me, Sifu coming out on February the 8th looks really, really good. I did note that reviews came out for that today. So if you are looking to get into Sifu, you can check out those previews and those reviews. So it looks really, really good stuff. It looks really hard, but I'm really looking forward to jump into that. We've got Crossfire X. That looks like an excellent first-person shooter. Really popular over on the East. That one's coming out exclusive to Xbox consoles for now. That one's coming out on February the 10th. And I think also that's coming to Game Pass as well. So that's going to be really, really good. We've got Lost Ark coming out on the 11th. I can't wait to jump into Lost Ark. One of my most anticipated games of the year. Really, really exciting stuff. And then, of course, we've got the big one. It's Horizon Forbidden West. That is coming out on February the 18th. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website. Now send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. So I'm always interested in hearing from you. And I'd love to read them out on a future episode of the podcast. Well, thank you so much for watching or for listening. And for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Or you can check me out on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking it and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.